0: Well, good morning, Lake Avenue Church. I'm so glad you didn't have plans this weekend. You chose well to be here. Before I introduce um, our guest this morning, really not a guest, our family member who's going to be bringing the word to us this morning, I want to just shape for you for a moment what we're doing the next three weeks. Uh, if you're new to Lake Avenue Church or you are just a Lisa Borden fan and you're in for the day, um, we are in a season of transition starting today, this weekend. Uh, We have had a senior pastor for over 12 years and we are now in this in-between space. And it's important for any family at a time of transition, I believe, to kinda own the season of transition. To recognize that what we are in is different than where we have been. And if your family has ever gone through any kind of transition, Positive or negative, you know that there is this gift that emerges most of the time where these wise voices come out of the most unexpected places. Either a family member you didn't know you had who has been through that or someone that God has brought into your life to speak a word of truth to you that helps to define and to shape the transition season, the instance you're in. And as I was praying and thinking for many months up into what are we going to do these first couple of weeks, once Pastor Greg is no longer our senior pastor, what became clear to me was that the Lord started putting these wise people on my mind and said, let's do that. Let's not just do business as usual. Let's pause for a moment and ask trusted family members, friends who love us, who care for us as a church, who are connected to us as a family, to come and bring some words to us in this season of transition. It was 20 years ago, I started at Lake Avenue Church on September 1st. And I remember the first weekend I was here and our lobby was covered in flags. You remember those days? Can you all email Scott White and say, put the flags back up? I think that would be helpful. Serious, Scott, okay. Um, Little did I know how impactful those flags and the commitment of this church to the far edges of God's creation and earth would be in my 20 years here. It's one of the things I'm most blown away at, one of the things I'm most proud of this church, and frankly, it's one of the um, quietest things about this church, unfortunately. I was at a memorial service on Thursday for my spiritual director, an amazing friend, and this man came up to me at the memorial, and he said, are you Jeff Matisich from Lake Avenue Church? I didn't know I was this famous. And he goes, my name's John Van Meter, I'm a missionary of Lake Avenue Church. And we had this tender time of tears and crying because we shared this person in common, and he flew in just for this memorial, and we had this amazing time of connection and prayer, and then in 20 years, I've never met John. Some of you have been here longer than 20 years and you've never met Lisa or Byron Borden and you are gonna be a proud family today. I have some updates for you. The bio that you've read about, it's all very true and impressive, but they've been married 37 years, not 33 years. And there are two grandchildren, not one, which that's a really important detail for you grandparents. So you know that, two grandchildren, not one, 37 years. And I have to say this and we'll welcome Lisa up. Um, this was the first name that God put on my mind, and I had never met you, Lisa, until a few weeks ago, more, most formally. I just had a sense that this was someone God needed, God wanted to use to speak to us in this time of transition. So you can read about her uh, biography. You'll know that she is a long-standing international staff member of Lake Avenue Church, and her and Byron follow Jesus in ways that inspire us by just reading the bio. Would you please welcome our sister, our friend, our family member, Lisa Borden, as she comes up.
1: Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be here with you all this morning. So my family came to Pasadena 45 years ago, into Lake Avenue Church 45 years ago, Last month, my dad likes to say that he came limping home, maybe carried on a stretcher from overseas ministry and Pastor Ray put an IV in his arm. I have to say that Lake Avenue changed our lives. For me, it was joining that junior high group and then that senior high group where there was so much fun and so much depth and so much love My Sunday school teacher in seventh and eighth grade was Gail Taylorson, and she made a huge impact on my life. She loved our little circle of Sunday school girls. She made us know that God loved us too because of the way that she loved us. And then going on into the high school group, Mike and Joni Risley continued to pour into all of our high school lives, and I'm forever grateful. There was great teaching in the morning. There was worship on Sunday evenings. There was small groups. There was summer camp and winter camp. There was so much fun going on that kept pulling us in and then taking us deeper. One of my favorite memories was when the high school staff had us all bring our bikes to the Lake Avenue parking lot. We put them all in a great big moving truck and drove to the beach and we spent the whole Saturday riding our bikes on the the boardwalks up and down the beaches. Who wouldn't want to do that? And I'll be honest, there were some cute boys in those youth groups. (laughs) And they may have held my attention a little bit as well. But the deep teaching, the relevant teaching, and the life example that I received in those years, those foundational years of my life, changed me and built me and shaped me. And I am so thankful. So thank you, Lake Avenue, for the foundation that you have poured into my life and for supporting 35 or something years of overseas service. Before I start, I'm just gonna pause a moment and pray. Jesus, would you take these not very impressive loaves and fishes that I have Would you multiply them? Would you do something wonderful and nourish us all through them? Thank you that you're able to do that. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Would you stand with me and read Hebrews 10, 24 and 25? We've read the verses that preceded this or we heard them read to us, but I'm gonna focus on 24 and 25 and I would love for you to read them out loud with me. They're gonna be up there, I guess. (laughs) So let us consider, are they there? No, okay, I'll wait. Hebrews 10, 24, if they don't pop up, I'll just read them. All right, I'm gonna go ahead. So let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, this is a pretty familiar um, memory verse for many people. I learned it at quite a young age. But the emphasis, at least in my mind, seems to have always fallen on the don'ts rather than the do's. Don't forget to meet together. Don't give up the meeting together. The translation that I memorized it in said, as is the habit of some. And I think there's some kind of a propensity among us in humans that we lean towards the negative or slightly what could be perceived as negative instead of the positive. We kind of are drawn to the don'ts even though we don't like them. So there's something that sticks with me in that verse about don't forget to go to church and don't be like those others that aren't. But I just wanna recognize that while there is lessons to be gained from that portion of the verse, I want to linger over the beginning part. I want to linger over the let us consider. So let us consider. Consider is to ruminate, meditate on, how to spur one another on, and the translation that I learned the verse in says how to stir one another up. I looked up a bunch of other translations and here are some of the ways they said that. How to spur one another on, yes. How to stir one another up. How to motivate, stimulate, provoke, encourage, and excite each other to love and good works. Now notice that it's love and good works. They go together. because. We sometimes want to just love, to have a positive, warm, loving feeling towards the world out there. But it goes with good works, because good works are the hands and feet. Good works are what put our love into action in a way that impacts the world around us. It's the nitty-gritty, up-close, in-contact-with-others expression of love. And when I woke up at one o'clock this morning, I thought, it's like rice and beans. Rice and beans go together, not just because they taste good together, but rice and beans together are better than rice and beans alone, because they form a perfect protein. And so they're greater than the sum of their parts when they're taken together. And that's the same, love and good works. Our love for others is made better when it's combined with the good works of service. So just remember that, that love and good works are rice and beans, they form something new and more complete. So as I thought about that, I thought, I'm just gonna consider, I'm just gonna meditate a little bit this morning on how I might spur all of us on, stir all of us up, motivate us, stimulate us, provoke us, encourage us, and excite us to love and good works. And the first thing that came to my mind was that me telling you, or anyone telling you, anyone telling us that we need to get out there and love and do good works, it doesn't really change our behavior. Because exhortation or nagging doesn't actually change any behavior. If we're going to get out and love and serve with good works the world around us that so badly needs God's love, if we're going to do that, we need to be motivated by something a lot bigger than the shoulds, a lot bigger than I should, you should, we should. I think we need to remember that if we are going to love, there's something that we need to know first, and that is that we are loved. We are deeply, as we sang in the Reckless Love Song, we are deeply, recklessly, overwhelmingly loved by God. And that is the place where transformation happens in our lives, and that is the love that empowers and enables us to go out with love and good works of service for the community and the world around us. And until we grasp that love, I don't think we're able to go out and love. That's the foundational point, the place that it all starts. God's love enables us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love and care for all the things in this beautiful creation that He has made to love and shepherd those things as well. So it starts from love. His love for us. Now how much are we loved? So much. (laughs) We are loved beyond description but we Forget it. You know, I think that we think that we know this, but do we? That's my question. Do we really? Paul, as early as in the letter to Ephesians, was already having to pray, I pray that you will be rooted and established in love, that you will come to know with all the saints, all the other believers, how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ and that that love will fill you. So here you have it as early in church history as the letter to Ephesians, that Paul is just hoping and begging and praying that they're gonna know that they are loved. And we have, you might say, a tagline for our faith, and our tagline is John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I think sometimes we live or believe or act as if what that really says is, for God so judged the world that he gave his only son. Because we focus on the fear factor and we focus on The idea that God's judgment is what is going to drive us to him. As if God wants to scare us into relationship with him. But scripture tells us that it's his love that leads us to repentance. The entire story arc of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is a love story of God pursuing, chasing Seeking after inviting welcoming drawing us in to the love Do you know what the most important thing I've ever learned in my life is Me whose grandparents were missionaries whose parents were missionaries and in ministry for 60 years who went to a Christian college and who actually gets to study the Bible as part of my career The most important thing that I've ever learned came from my mom in the form of a song that we think of as a children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know. That is the most important lesson in my life. That's my go-to song when I'm stressed, when I'm wakeful, when I'm anxious, I'm humming or I'm singing in my mind, Jesus loves me. This I know. That's what anchors me and brings me back to a place of truth. This is such a go-to song for me. I sang it over all my pregnant tummies. I sang it to my newborns. I sang it so much in the maternity ward in Kenya that the African nurses used to call me the lady who's always singing to her baby. I sang it so much to little Colin that by the time he was about three and he heard it for the first time on some children's video that we had, he said, Oh, they're singing my song. Had no idea that the whole world knew his song. So that love somehow took such a deep root in my life that it changes the way I see and understand everything. And I don't always get it right. I do forget it just because I'm human. But it's there as a base. And it's so much a part of who I am that I have to tell you kind of an embarrassing story about myself. About 34 years ago, I was coming out of anesthesia, and I was in that loopy, foggy, floaty, I don't know what I'm saying state, alone with my husband in the hospital. And I told him, apparently, I have no memory of this, I told him, I've been in Narnia. <laughs> and because he thought, oh, this is, this is amazing, and he thought this was a good opportunity to have a little fun at my expense, he thought, I'm not letting this go. And he said, oh, really? Did you see Aslan? And I said, yes. Oh, really? What did Aslan say? And I said, Aslan said, I'm his favorite. (laughs) Aslan said, I'm his favorite. That's how deeply that message had taken hold and still resides in my bones. And because he should have left well enough alone, It serves him right what I said next. He said, oh, did Aslan say anything about me? And I said, yeah. He said, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is that the, the transforming knowledge of God's love can be so deeply planted within us that we're speaking it even if we are completely out of our minds. (laughs) I'm sure you know who Eugene Peterson is. Eugene Peterson, the well-loved pastor, writer, poet, theologian, the creator, the one who is responsible for the message Bible. Not the Bible, but the message version of it. Well, you probably are also familiar with this quote. At his funeral last year, his son Leif was giving a tribute to him in the form of a poem. But he said, you know, for all the years of my father's ministry, he had one message that he said over and over and over. He had one message and every Sunday morning, people thought that fresh message was something new. But really, it was just a repackaging of what he said every single week and what he said every day of my entire life. And this was my father's one message. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming for you. He is relentless. And if Eugene Peterson's credentials aren't enough for you, then let's consider the Apostle Paul. For the Apostle Paul said in Romans that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Now, we can break the relationship. We can block the communication we can turn away. But we can't actually make God not love us. It's not possible. Is God concerned with our failures? Is He concerned with our willful wrongdoing? Yeah, He is. But it's His love that leads us to repentance. It's His love that keeps drawing us in. And so, saturated in that love, now we're asked to be sent out into the world. We're charged to go out and love and show that love with good works. So who are we supposed to love? Well, first of all, we're told to love the Lord our God, with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That's enough to bite off right there, working on that for the rest of our lives. Beyond that, we're told to love one another over and over again through the New Testament. We're told as a body of believers to love one another. And that's easy, right? Because we all see eye to eye and we have no disagreements. Maybe not so much but we're encouraged to love one another and here in this gathering that is Lake Avenue, we love and offer love and forgiveness and love one another. But now think about the bigger, broader body of Christ across our city, across our country, across the world. So many different expressions of church, so many different ways that the bride of Christ appears, even so many different shades of belief within those different bodies. And we're not always great at loving the broad body of Christ. We're not always great at loving one another beyond what we know very close to us. We're a contentious bunch. And I wonder sometimes, how are we expected, or how do we think? That we're gonna go out and love the world if we can't even love the Bride of Christ across the many variations of how she's expressed. In my life, I've had the very great privilege of living significant lengths of time, not a couple of months, but years in six different countries. And in our work, Byron and I work together. We've experienced so many different expressions of the body of Christ. From dancing under acacia trees outside in the dust with our Maasai friends, to sitting quietly in Quaker meetings, to meeting in pubs with people who are seeking and wondering, to attending mass, to pretty wild and raucous charismatic gatherings, to very formal, high church settings, and to everything in between. And I think perhaps the best illustration, if I could capture one moment of that, is a picture that I carry so closely in my mind of our gathering a few years ago at St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna. Byron and I are part of a global movement called the 24-7 Prayer Movement, and Every year we have an annual gathering at some uh, spot in Europe. And for me, it's like going up to the feast. It's our annual intake of um, teaching and and a place that we connect and fellowship and give. We often um, lead workshops when we're there. But at St. Stephen's Cathedral that night, it was only the second time in history that the cathedral had been open to a Protestant event a cathedral that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. And we filled it, packed it, a thousand plus. Priests in robes, nuns in habits, plenty of dreadlocks and tattoos, well-heeled London financiers. Children, adults, from such a broad spectrum across the body of Christ, friends of mine, who are with the Salvation Army and wear their uniform on Sunday mornings. Conservative Mennonite young women. Every shade of skin. So many languages I can't even begin to list them. But there we were packed into St. Stephen's Cathedral with the doors open to the night so that the tourists could see and hear what was going on. And we We're not divided by all of our differences. We were united and we sang and lifted the name of Jesus and we sang, Christ alone, cornerstone, because that is the only cornerstone that mattered. And across that broad spectrum of the body of Christ, that was the only thing that mattered. And so we were gathered, the church gathered like a slice of heaven, and then we were scattered to the far corners of the globe in the next couple of days. We were scattered to, some of us, minister to gang members in South Africa, some of us to help drug addicts on the streets of Vancouver, some of us to bring free, manicures and pedicures to prostitutes in Mexico, some of us working to give internet and breakfast services to sex workers on the island of Ibiza, some of us to walk in much more conservative hallways, meeting with the Archbishop of Canterbury to help initiate an annual focus on prayer and evangelism, some of us meeting with high levels in the Catholic Church Some of us working with Alpha to help them focus a deeper part of what they do on prayer. Some of us just returning to Tanzania to work among people who need to be able to provide for themselves. We were the church gathered in the most beautiful way that I can think of and then scattered. And that was all possible because 20 years ago, a pretty small group of young people on the south coast of England decided that they should learn how to pray. And then, as they listened to the Lord, they decided to scatter and love the world in the same way, in the same manner that they were loved. Because big things can happen when we pray, and beautiful things happen when we know that we're loved. So we're to love God, and we're to love one another, and we're to love our neighbors. And many of our neighbors are pretty similar to us, and we understand who they are, and we extend love. And many of our neighbors are not very much like us at all. And one of the ways that we can begin to show love is just to get to know them, and to understand where they've come from, So yes, God, one another, our neighbors, but then Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says, yeah, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor, but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our enemies. Who are our enemies? This is a very polarized time in history, not just across our nation, across the world. We're divided on so many lines. I think that we could define our enemies as the people that we don't want to be with, people that we think are offensive people that we don't quite believe that God loves, people who don't think like us or act like us, people who don't vote like us, these are our enemies. I'm not saying that they are our enemies, but that is how we behave. These are our enemies, not just people who think differently or have a different perspective or come from a different background, but actually enemies. So I want you to just think for a moment about who that is for you. Who are you basically afraid of? Who do you think is trying to hurt you? Who do you feel offended by? Who do I feel offended by? I'm pretty certain That that's who Jesus is asking us to love and serve when he says that we're to love and serve our enemies. And here's the thing. God loves them just as much as he loves you. God loves them just as much as he loves me. I want you to just close your eyes for a second. I want to tell you a secret. You are Aslan's favorite. God loves you more than you can imagine. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you one iota more. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you one iota less. It's not possible. So go ahead and open your eyes. Grounded in that love, rooted in that love, it's time for us to extend that love to the people that we think, oh, those are our enemies. And if you don't know where to start, when I don't know where to start, I found out that listening to another person to understand, not listening to answer Listening to understand a point of view, even if you're pretty, pretty convinced that point of view is wrong, listening to understand where somebody is coming from, why they believe what they believe, what it feels like to live in their skin or walk in their shoes, listening to understand that is an act of love, and it's a good work. And if we're so paralyzed by our fear of our enemies, we can at least pray. We can pray for them, yes, and we can pray for ourselves, that we will learn how to love. My boys played in a punk band during the years that we lived in Portugal that played in the underground music scene late at night in bars in Lisbon. And one of my very favorite lines from one of their songs was just on repeat in the chorus, and it was love as in capital noun, love teach me to love, love teach me to love, love teach me to love. We can at least begin with that prayer. So like I said, I learned this Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 in a different translation when I was a young person. And when my children were little, I used to make up hand motions to go with our memory verses so that we could prompt each other when we forgot a word. And yesterday morning, I woke up thinking, imagining, creating these hand motions as I was waking up. And I'm going to close with this. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. So let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not forgetting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Amen and amen.